Let me remind you that as we come to Exodus chapter 9, we are continuing our study of these ten plagues that God brought upon the nation of Egypt because they would not let God's people go. These ten plagues are actually three sets of three, and then a a final climactic plague. And so tonight we come to the seventh plague, which is actually the first of the last set of three. And so as we enter into this last set of three, I want to give you a warning up front. From this point forward, the plagues that we study will be of a devastating nature. The first set of three, water being turned to blood, the frogs, the gnats. As we explained each one of those plagues, they were frustrating, annoying, they disrupted life in Egypt, but no more than that. The second set of three, the the flies, the afflicted livestock, even the boils that we talked about this morning, these caused real physical harm to people. These threatened Egypt's economy and security. But now, Pharaoh's heart is still hard. And so these plagues move into another gear entirely. When you hear people talk about catastrophes of biblical proportions, these next plagues are what we have in mind. Uh, This evening we come to the longest account given of any of the plagues, uh, because beginning in verse 13, we have the account of the seventh plague, the plague of hail. And so we're going to take it a bit at a time. So let's begin reading in verse 13, and we're going to stop for now at verse 21. So Exodus 9, beginning in verse 13, we are reading the word of God worth more than our very lives. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. And present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. 
Let's stop there and make some initial observations. First, like the first and second set of plagues, this third set begins the same way, with Moses taking his stand before Pharaoh in the morning. Moses taking his stand before Pharaoh in the morning. Now, we don't know how much time has passed since the plague of the boils that we studied this morning. It may have been just a few days. It may have been some weeks. But now, one morning, probably as Pharaoh is going down to the Nile River to wash, if it follows the same pattern of the other two sets, here comes Moses again, ready to take his stand Just when Pharaoh might have thought that this madness was ending, here again is Moses. Just when Pharaoh may have thought that he and his kingdom might have some time to recover, a moment to catch their breath, here comes Moses. Like a bad dream that just keeps going and going. Here comes Moses. Mount Hermon, let us never think that we can outlast God. He has called all mankind to repent. And any person that does not repent will find that in the end he cannot escape God. Just at the moment when you might think that God has gone away and that you are finally safe in your sin, he will confront you. And he will do all that is necessary to put you on your knees. Ultimately, if you will not repent, you will find that there is no escape from his judgment. And hell is a place where the torment keeps coming and coming and coming. And right when you might think there's a moment's relief, a moment to catch your breath, the torment keeps coming all the more. There is no peace for those who will not repent and submit to God. God is the God of peace. To reject God is to reject peace. It's interesting that verse 14 is the first and only time that the word plague is actually used in all of these chapters here in the book of Exodus. Our English translations use the word plague in other passages, but the special word used here in verse 14 is used only and exclusively here, and we call these plagues the ten plagues because of this verse, verse 14. It's only here at the seventh plague that God, be, that God declares he's about to send his plagues. In other words, everything else has been leading up to these final acts of God. Uh, the word God uses is magefall. So everybody say magefall. Magefall. That's your Hebrew for today. Magefall. Um, this word refers to a divine blow from the hand of God. It refers to a God-sent calamity, devastation, and destruction from the hand of God. Everything before now has been comparatively minor. Moses now comes and declares to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, are you listening? Magafal is coming. Plagues, devastating blows from God are coming. In fact, if you'll notice in verse 14, uh, in the ESV, we have the translation, all my 
plagues. In other words, what God is saying here is that He is no longer holding back His severest attacks. God has a full arsenal at His disposal, and from this point forward, nothing is off limits. Moses is saying, prepare yourself, Pharaoh, because you have not yet even begun to see what my God can do. Second observation. Note the awesome sovereignty of God declared in verses 15 and 16. Note the awesome sovereignty of God declared in verses 15 and 16. First, there is the declaration of God's power. Of God's power. He says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, dear Pharaoh, the power of God is so great that he can destroy anyone and any kingdom anywhere at any time he chooses. This is awesome power. Second, there is the declaration of God's mercy. God says that in his sovereignty, he has chosen to hold back his hand out of kindness out of love towards those created in His image. Basically, in verses 15 and 16, God is saying to Pharaoh, I could have already destroyed you, but see how I have been merciful. See how I have been patient, and I have only sent smaller plagues upon you to this point. It's the message we heard this morning. It's it's Romans 2. Don't presume on the patience of God. Don't presume that God will be forever merciful. His present mercy is meant to lead you to repentance. But because He is a good God, His patience with wickedness cannot last forever. Justice must happen. And therefore, dear Pharaoh, repent now. If this seventh plague says anything, it says that God's patience has begun to run thin. Climactic judgment is now very near. Pharaoh needs to change his tune, and he needs to change his tune now. And then third, under the second point about God's sovereignty, note God's absolute control over people and events. His absolute control over people and events. Verse 16 is mind-blowing. There's a reason Paul is going to quote verse 16 when we get to Romans 9. So we're going to see this verse again in just a few months. But look at verse 16. For this purpose, I, God, have raised you, Pharaoh, up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, Pharaoh, you may think that you are something, but in reality, you are a pawn in my divine hand. I raised you up. All the power and authority that you think you have, Pharaoh, I gave it to you. Your position and the wicked choices that you're making and the hardened heart that you have, these are all part of my plan to glorify my name. Pharaoh, you are a powerful character in this story, but I am the author of the story. And you will be and you will do exactly what I have chosen for you to be 
and to do. Now remember, Pharaoh was the most powerful man on planet Earth at this time. And yet here, God is confronting Pharaoh with a kind of sovereignty that is beyond anything he could have ever dreamed or imagined. Because even Pharaoh's very life and decisions are all under the control of this divine king. Indeed, they've been scripted by this divine king. The God of Moses is the true sovereign. Third observation. This hailstorm is a test of faith for Pharaoh and his servants. This hailstorm is a test of faith for Pharaoh and his servants. After everything that they have seen and experienced, God now tells them ahead of time what he is about to do. He tells them ahead of time. This is still the mercy of God. He says, bring your servants in from the field. Bring your animals in from the field. He even tells them how much time they have. 24 hours. He says, I will wait. I will not bring this plague upon you until this time tomorrow. Go call your people in from the field. And now Pharaoh and his servants are confronted with a choice. Will they admit that they now believe the God of Moses to be true and powerful? Will they bring their servants and livestock out of danger? Or will they stubbornly ignore Moses' words and show their disbelief by leaving their servants and their beasts out in the field? Think of the dilemma that this created for some of Pharaoh's officials. After everything they had seen, Some of these officials surely believed that Moses was speaking the truth. They surely believed, "Uh uh-oh, a hailstorm is coming. But how is my master Pharaoh going to react if he finds out I've been bringing my men in from the field? How is my master Pharaoh going to react if he finds out I'm bringing my animals in? Am I going to be accused of being a traitor? For some of these officials, the question they now had to face was this, who did they fear most? Pharaoh or God. Verses 20 through 21 tell us the mixed response, right? Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. By the way, this is further evidence, Mount Hermon. That our lives and our actions have consequences, not just for ourselves, but for any that are under our authority. This is a constant theme in these plagues. Those servants who worked for masters, who refused to do the right thing, they were struck down by the hell. These people died. Meanwhile, those masters who feared the word of the Lord, they were brought into safety. Their their lives were spared. In other words, who your master was and whether or not they feared the Lord in this whole dilemma, that made a big difference in whether you lived or died. How important it is that those who are in authority humble themselves before God and do what is right. Because the consequences, whether it be the blessing of God or the curse of God, will affect those under our authority. It's a good word for husbands, for fathers, for church leaders, 
those who are in positions of authority in the workplace or in the community. We need to remember that. All right, let's keep reading. Let's pick up the account in verse 22. We'll stop at verse 26. Beginning in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never had been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hell. So here's our fourth illustration or observation. This hell storm was very severe. It was very severe. This was a storm like no other. Imagine the loud thunder described in the paragraph we just read. Imagine this hail coming down so heavy and so large that it's just wreaking havoc on everything. We're told that there was never a storm like this in the history of Egypt. The passage even mentions fire coming down from the sky. In the Hebrew, it literally says that great balls of fire were coming down upon the land. And for the first time in these plagues, we're told explicitly that people died. And animals died. And the crops of the field were destroyed. This was a major, major blow to the nation of Egypt. And yet, in Goshen, where God's people Israel were being kept as slaves, there was no hailstorm at all. I remember as a young child up in Northampton County where I grew up, we lived just a few miles from my grandparents' house, close enough that we could walk, maybe three or four miles from their house. And it seemed like it wasn't at all uncommon for them to get rain. And we wouldn't get rain, right? Or uh, for some reason, they would get snow in the winter and and we wouldn't get snow. And I just remember having that conversation often as a kid, that the weather can be strange like that. But here, this was no coincidence. It it wasn't happenstance that Goshen escaped the storm. This was the divine hand of God. And it was a clear sign to any who would see that this is Israel's God at work. He is fighting for his people. And he will continue to fight until they are set free. So how is Pharaoh going to respond now? Because the ante has been upped. Let's keep reading beginning in verse 27. Verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. Notice he uses the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. 
I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hell ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Now, before I make our fifth observation, it might interest you to know that this plague helps us figure out what time of year we're in. Uh, You see, Egyptian cattle were kept outside only in January through April. Uh, After those months, the heat becomes so scorching that the cattle have to be kept under shelters. Uh, Remember, Egypt is part of the Saharan Desert, and it's only because the Nile River is there that anybody can can live there and, and thrive there. But did you notice that right in the middle of our passage, there's kind of this parenthesis statement about flax and barley? You might be wondering, what's, what's that about? Flax and why mention that there? Uh, we actually have ancient paintings from Egypt depicting Egyptian farmers harvesting flax and barley together. And we know that they did this each year in January. Later... In April, the wheat and the emmer that was mentioned in our passage would be ready to harvest, but not yet. They're still in seed form. They're still in the ground in January. And so this helps explain how all the crops of the field can be destroyed here in the seventh plague. And yet, what are the locusts going to eat in the eighth plague? Well, the difference is this plague happens in January. The next plague is going to happen three months later in the month of April. The eighth plague is going to take place after there's been more opportunity for crops and tree fruits and other plants to grow. I find it interesting that the evidence that we have, even from ancient Egypt, seems to correlate with the farming pattern that is presented here in the passage. Okay, so what's our fifth observation? Pharaoh's repentance in the moment of desperation did not prove true, for he again hardened his heart. Pharaoh's rep- repentance in the moment of desperation did not prove true, for he again hardened his heart. At first, Pharaoh's repentance seems genuine. We have a confession of sin. He says, This time I have sinned. We have an acknowledgement of God's righteousness. Pharaoh, out of the mouth of Pharaoh, comes this statement. The Lord Yahweh is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Pharaoh even asked Moses to plead for him. He promises that the people of Israel shall be set free. This seems like genuine repentance. But true repentance always shows itself in fruit. How many people in the midst of a tough time or under intense feelings of guilt have shed tears and confessed sin and pleaded with God and promised God to do better? But real repentance, saving repentance, 
bears fruit. It's not a temporary rejection of sin. Repentance is a once-for-all rejection of sin. True repentance says, I hate my sin, and I will fight my sin, and I will never be content with my sin. I don't want to be like the dog returning to its vomit. I want to put my sin away and never go back. I will trust my God. I will find my my joy and my strength in submitting to Him. False repentance makes promises that cannot be kept. True repentance turns to the promises of God. One question for us this evening is this. Are you a true repenter? Have you truly turned from sin to God? Have you truly surrendered yourself to following Christ and doing His will? Are you depending on the promises of God and fighting sin, or are you still making promises to God that you'll never be able to keep? Don't be like Pharaoh. Truly surrender yourself to the God who loves you and let His revealed will for you in the Bible be your guide. Now, We've seen that each one of these plagues is revealing the weakness of Egypt's false gods. So which God here was the true God of Israel revealing to be a sham? Well, there were certainly a number of Egyptian gods who were believed to have a role in governing the weather. But no God was more important in this regard than the sky goddess, Newt. Everybody say Newt. Now, it's actually written N-U-T. But I don't think you say it nut, but that would be funny if you do. So Jonathan, you, Jonathan says you say it nut, so I'm not sure. So There you go. Well, I, we'll say nut then. We'll take you at your word for it. We're going to call this goddess nut, if I can, without laughing. Nut. Okay. Um, these last four plagues are against four of the most important gods in all of the Egyptian religion. God is no longer targeting the smaller gods of Egypt. He is now aiming straight for the jugular of the Egyptian religion. Those gods that were considered to be the highest and the most important of all are dethroned in these last plagues. These plagues are going to reveal that whatever power they were thought to have is nothing compared to the power of God. So what should you know about Nut? She was believed to be one of the deities who played a role in the creation of the world. She was considered to be the goddess of the sky, both the daytime sky and the nighttime sky. The sun that you see each day sits in the sky because of her permission. Each evening, she swallows the sun. Each morning, she births the sun again from her womb. The moon and the stars and all of the heavenly bodies in the nighttime sky, they are all in nuts sky with her permission. When something comes down from the sky, be it rain or slow or sleet or hail, it comes from her hand. The Egyptians saw the sky as a protective covering. They saw the sky as a veil lying over the world. And they assumed that everything beyond that veil was chaos and and terrible, but that not with her veil of the sky was, was protecting them from the chaos that was beyond. 
And they believed that nothing from the outer world could pierce the veil of the sky and calm down upon them without her permission. And yet we see here that the God of Moses declares 24 hours ahead of time what he's going to do, bringing a massive hailstorm from the sky. He was putting nut to the test. In that 24-hour period, we can picture the religious leaders of Egypt being directed to make their sacrifices, to, to pray their prayers, to dance their dances, to carry out their rituals, all pleading with nut to protect Egypt from the God of the Hebrews. But despite all of their efforts and all of their rituals, their goddess could do nothing to prevent what the God of Moses had said he would do. It was Israel, and Israel alone, that was completely protected from the hailstorm, showing that Israel's God is the true God. This morning we talked about our health. Who do we trust in for our health? Now, tonight, let's talk about the weather. Are we ever tempted to assume that the weather is in anyone's control but God's? Um, don't get me wrong. I love Greg Fischel. Greg, Greg Fischel is my weatherman. I'm... I, I, it's almost scary how sentimental I feel towards Greg Fischel. I just, I really, I really like him. He, he, he uses puns in his weather forecast that just make me laugh. And I follow him on Facebook. He's hilarious on Facebook. And anyway, I, I, it's scary how much I like Greg Fischel. At the end of the day, he has no control over what tomorrow's weather may bring. Even Greg Fischel gets it wrong sometimes, as he did a couple of weeks ago and apologized for it. Um, do I believe that the activities of human beings can affect the weather? Can your actions and my actions affect the weather? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's true. And certainly there are some things here and there that we can do to make a difference. But, but at the end of the day, let us never ever think that somehow man has risen so high that we can take ultimate control of the weather. At the end of the day, the wind and the waves and the clouds and all else answers only to the sovereign voice of God who created them all. And so, if you're going to have a wedding, as Christy Lamb did on a Saturday at the beach, and Greg Fischel's calling for rain, what do you do? You don't call up Greg Fischel and say, make it not rain, right? You get on your knees and you pray. All right, our next question is this. What is the prophetic lesson here? What is the prophetic lesson? Uh, we know that these plagues of judgment are all shadows of the same kind of judgments that are now coming upon this world in these last days, warning us of a climactic judgment to come. What parallel is there between this hailstorm in the days of the Exodus and what we're experiencing on the earth in our own lifetimes. Well, again, the answer comes from Revelation 16. The key for so many of these is in Revelation 16. I'm going to read verses 17 through 21, where we read, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup 
of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven onto people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. It's interesting, in the book of Revelation, hell is not used as a picture of a smaller judgment of God that comes before the final judgment. Now, in the book of Revelation, hell is used alongside lightning, thunder, and an earthquake to depict the very wrath of God falling upon this world in the final judgment at the end of all things. Islands fleeing away. Mountains flattened, and they are no more. What Revelation describes is the end of the world as we know it. That great day of judgment is not something we can put into words. The great day of judgment that's coming is beyond our description. But when John is just grasping for images he can use to tell what he has seen in his vision of that terrible day, here are the words he's able to grab onto. He, he reaches all the way back to Exodus 9 and the plagues in Egypt, and particularly to this plague, the plague of hell, and the terrible devastation that it caused. According to Revelation, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, Christ's people will be safe. Christians will be in the land of Goshen on the last day. They, with Jesus, will even participate, we're told, in some mysterious way in bringing this judgment upon all who live in the hardness of their heart, choosing evil over God himself. But the prophetic lesson of this plague is that the day of God's final judgment will be a day of terrible devastation. A day of terrible devastation. So the next time we experience a hailstorm here in Rocky Mount, what should we remember? What should our minds go to when we see property damage or crop damage or our vehicles having been affected by the hailstorm or even physical harm having been caused? But to remember that that is just a tiny foreshadowing of the great day of judgment to come. I'll ask it again. Are you ready? I mean, more than anything else, what are these plagues in the Bible for? They're there for a preacher to sit in a room like this and to say to people, are you ready? Are you hardening your heart? Or have you submitted yourself to God through Jesus Christ? Has Christ become your Savior? Finally, let's note a seventh purpose of these ten plagues. A seventh purpose. This morning we saw the sixth. Tonight we come to the seventh. And it's this. God sent these plagues to display God's glory to the nations. To display God's glory to the nations. So go back to verse 16. I told you it's a crucial verse. It's an important verse even in the New Testament. Verse 16. And here's what we read. But for this purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Are these plagues about Israel being set free? Absolutely. Are these plagues about Egypt being punished for wickedness? Yes, of course. 
But these plagues are mainly about one thing that the entire world would know that Yahweh is the true God. Through these plagues, God is bringing the mightiest kingdom on planet Earth at this point in history to its knees. Every other nation is going to hear about this. What God is doing in Egypt, it's on the lips of everyone throughout the Middle East. The God of Israel has humbled the mighty king of Egypt. So the spies of Israel come into Jericho. Remember that story? They stay at the home of Rahab, the prostitute. Rather than turning these Israelite spies into the city leaders, Rahab puts her own life on the line in order to hide the spies and in order to help them escape. Why in the world would Rahab do that? Why would this this pagan woman risk her life for these enemy spies? Listen to what she tells them in Joshua 2. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Why? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. In other words, the mighty deeds that the Lord does on behalf of Israel, this information is spreading like wildfire to the nations. The God, who is the creator of all things and all people, has been forgotten by mankind. But through these acts, he is making his name known again. Mount Hermon, what do people need more than anything else? They need to know the true God. What people need more than anything else is to know who God is, to know His character, to know what He has done, and then through Jesus Christ, to know Him. This is bigger than Egypt. This is even bigger than Israel. This was about the nations, God says. God was doing what he did at that point in time so that people in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina would be remembering the mighty deeds of God in the year 2015. That's why Pharaoh was raised up. That's why God keeps hardening his heart. For our sake, for your sake. What does this mean for us? Do you have a passion for seeing God's name known in this world? Do you have the mission of knowing God and making God known? When the psalmist says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, does that resonate with your heart? Is that the cry of your heart? Do you long to be a part of helping the more than one billion people on this planet who have never even heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? this is a call for us to be about the work of spreading the gospel that the glory of the Lord may be known in every corner of the globe more to come that's enough for tonight let's pray together Father we're so grateful for these passages
as hard as they are to read and study and to think about the devastation. Father, there's something in us that wants to just scream at Pharaoh for hardening in his heart over and over again. We don't understand why he won't just submit and do the right thing. And we see the people of his nation being hurt. Father, at the end of the day, we know this was all part of your plan. That we would see both the glory of your justice and your wrath. And the glory of your mercy and grace. As you brought your people Israel out of Egypt with a mighty right hand and saved them. Father, we know that we were once enslaved to a master worse than Pharaoh. And by your mighty right hand, you have brought us out of bondage and set our feet on a path to the promised land. Oh God, thank you for saving us. We pray that you might use us, that your glory may be known in the nations. Father, would you care for us over the next few days? Would you protect us, not only physically, but spiritually? Father, would you cause our hearts to incline all the more towards you and not away from you? Father, protect us from any hardening of heart. Would you make our hearts soft, eager to draw near to you, desiring more communion with you? Father, we ask that you would be merciful towards us till we gather again next week to continue worshiping you and seeing more of your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.